Um, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, maybe two or three months ago, I was, when we were still back in these offices, I was walking down the hallway. I can remember where I was, like right there through that, uh, through that wall, walking through the hallway, and in my mind was you know, all the people that I needed to connect with on that day. I was thinking about people I needed to call, people I needed to text, people I needed to visit in the hospital. Just uh, all the people were swirling in my mind. And just like in an instant, I had this flash. I saw, I saw a universe. I didn't see the universe. I saw a universe. And it's, it's like I could see all the people in my life sort of in their orbits, just sort of floating around. And I recognized at that moment, I doubt this is original with me or anything, but it was new to me there. I realized, wow, as I kind of go through the orbit of my life at any one time, at any one time of a day or in a week or in a month or a year, uh, I connect with the orbits of other people that my relationships kind of move, uh, our relationships in general aren't linear. We kind of bounce off one another at times. Um, and it just struck me, wow, I have a relational universe. So I looked it up thinking, probably this is original. I am amazing. I will write a book and that's going to be great. Not true. Somebody else has thought of it. And in fact, some counselors talk about your relational universe as the way that you have healthy and sometimes unhealthy relationships. The human condition requires interdependence. We were created by God to live in, with, and for God and with others. So God plants us here, infuses us with his Holy Spirit, plants other people here, and he wants us to connect with him and with others. We're relational beings. You know, the, the pandemic was hard on so many of us because we began to crave relationship. We needed to be with someone, not just Zooming with them. Even the introverts, I myself, after about six months, really <laughs> felt like I wanted to see someone because we're created as relational beings. You know, we also are a part of other people's universes. You ever think of that? You know, I, I know how I think of a person. Do you ever wonder, like, I wonder how they think about me? I wonder where I am in their orbit. Some people are closer and some people are farther, meaning that some people or some relationships, including God, can have more gravitational pull and some less, depending on how we position ourselves in our relational universe. Some of these relationships we've had since birth. And some of these relationships are relatively new. If you walked into the church today for the first time or a couple of months ago or within the last year, some of these relationships are new. You're still trying to figure out, do, do I fit here? Am I sort of being called into this orbit? Does this make sense? Is this a safe place for me? Who do I connect with? What am I called to give here? Some relationships might be really healthy, built on love and trust and obviously some relationships are more toxic. There are some that God calls us to draw close to and some that at times he calls us to maintain distance from. So I want you to sort of take a minute and imagine your relational universe. Just think about, uh, including God, the people that you connect with uh, hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, maybe uh, for a lifetime, maybe one time that you've connected with. Uh, this analogy uh, is tempting to take way too far, but I heard relational universe and then I thought Marvel universe. 
And so I'll just, I'll just end here with this because Nate's already doing this to me. But think about it. In, in, in every relational universe, there are superheroes and there are villains. There are those for whom uh, somebody for you who really came in and saved your life at some point. They were God's hand to pluck you out. They were someone that all of, his, all of a sudden showed, showed you that a people can be safe. Maybe even church can be safe. God can be safe. And then there are others who you realize they played the villain in my life. And I need someone greater than me to, to take care of that, to bring healing or to bring, um, you know, grace over time. Consider the gifts that you've been given for the building of God's kingdom and not just for the, the creation of your own little mini-verse. God's created us for relationship. There's a relational universe that each of us has. And uh, the Holy Spirit may be inviting us this morning. I'm convinced he is. Inviting us this morning to consider our relational universe and possibly to be open to God wanting to adjust our, relationship, our relational universe just a bit. A couple of weeks ago, Adam gave this illustration of his, something about if you're, if you're one degree off course on your way to somewhere, by the end time you get there, you're, I don't know, lost or something. I can't remember. <laughs> the point is a little adjustment has a big impact over time. And I thought about it even this morning when I was praying about this. You know, a tiny adjustment that God would give to us in our relational universe, our relationship with him, with others in the faith, and with people outside of the faith not yet pursuing Jesus can have eternal consequences. One tiny adjustment has impact on where we end up and honestly, where others in our lives can end up. Let's pray. God, we know that you are in control of all things. We know that you created the universe. You created us and you plopped us here into it. God, you have called us to this very time, this very space. You've given us these bodies, these minds, these hearts. You've given us these relationships, these gifts. And God, you've given us these, our limitations. Would you give us grace to discern how you may be asking us to adjust and to be in cooperation with you? In Jesus' name, amen. We're in this uh, series, uh, The Way of Jesus, and we're just looking at some of Jesus' practices um, because we can learn from the practices of Jesus and we can imitate them. As kingdom people, we can become like the king. We can become more like Jesus in character and in action every day. In fact, it's one of our values you see on the wall, personal transformation. We want to become more like Jesus in character and action every day. I'm going to spend the next 20 minutes or so on, honestly, a very basic principle in the life of Jesus. I remind you that basic does not mean unimportant. In fact, if you consider the foundation of a building, the basic building blocks, it's crucial. So I'm asking you to, if you've heard this a thousand times or if you're just hearing, you know, Charlie Brown's teacher up here, wah, 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 be open to the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning about your relationships. We're created for them. And as followers of Jesus, imitating Jesus, God's called us to invest in at least three primary relationships. Our relationship with God, that's sort of the upward dimension of our lives. 
our relationship with other followers of Jesus, that's kind of church-wide, that would be kind of the inward relationship in our lives, the inward uh, dimension. And then the outward dimension, our relationship with others in the world who aren't necessarily looking for Jesus, following Jesus, and honestly don't realize how much they need him. God calls us to all of those relationships. So I'm going to point out a few uh, passages that clarify this call to these three relationships. I'm going to give a couple thoughts and pose a couple of questions, and then I think that God's going to commission us back out into the world to relate to him, to other believers, and to the world in ways that have impact on the kingdom of God. Again, not just our little mini-verse, but God's kingdom out there in the world. The big question is, will you let God order your relational universe? Are you open to God saying something about your relational universe? God calls us to an intimate relationship with him. This is primary. This is first. Luke 5, 16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus would quite intentionally, and the scripture says often, retreat from relationship with human people and focus on his relationship with God, his heavenly father. He knew that even his ministry to people came from his relationship with God the Father. If he didn't have that intimate communion with the Father, he couldn't do what he was called to do out in the world. Jesus didn't do his stuff, his miracles, etc., because he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. But his ministry was the same way that we have our ministry. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus just happened to be perfectly related to God the Father by the Holy Spirit. And so his life and ministry was perfect. But even he needed and, and showed us how to imitate the relationship with the Father. Literally, Jesus says, John 5, 19, Jesus said he could do nothing on his own, but did only what he saw the Father doing. Can you imagine Jesus, like, Jesus walks in, and you're, we're in awe, we're all down on the floor, and then Jesus says, hey, there's something I can't do. Like, what? Blow away our Sunday school brains, right? I can only do what I see the Father doing. He was obedient to the voice of the Father in his life, in his relationship. I don't think this is just about talking to God and listening to God. I think that Jesus wants to walk with us. I think he really wants to walk with us. He wants to be that intimate. Times he wants to hold our hand. He wants to take our faces in his palms. He wants to kiss us. He wants to hug us. Sometimes he wants to lovingly correct us. But always he wants us to draw near to him. What we do in the world, we do in, from, and through our relationship with Jesus. So I'm urging you this morning, pursue that. One of the reasons we create the prayer room for 40 days every Lent is, is, is so you have a, a reason, a place, sort of a, a purpose to walk in and cultivate relationship with Jesus, to be there, to be present, to, to put everything else aside and just say, God, I want to know you today. I want to be here with you today. And at times, it's hard to cultivate a relationship with Jesus. At, at times, it's hard because the fact is, sometimes it's hard to see God. It's, it's hard to even believe that he's present. Sometimes we just don't feel it. 
um, in a couple of months, you know, the world seems like it's going to go crazy because on April the 8th, there's going to be an eclipse, right? Uh, we were driving home from Ohio yesterday, and you can buy eclipse glasses for $2 at a Walgreens in Greenfield if anybody needs them. So what's going to happen? You know, the sun is the closest star to the earth. And even at 93 million miles away, that sun radiates light and heat and energy, making it possible for us to live on the earth. It's got a gravitational pull, and it keeps us in orbit. We can't live without the sun. And yet, on April the 8th, we won't be able to see it. It's, it's going to be essentially shaded from us. I know it's a stretch of an analogy again, but sometimes, though the Son of God is present, we can't see him. Something in the orbit, something in our life, sometime we're just, God, are you there? How many people have prayed that prayer? God, are you there? If you're there, say something, and we hear silence. Do something, and we see inaction. And my encouragement to you this morning, if you're there right now, and I have been there, a number of times in my life. Hold on. Even when it seems like the sun is shaded, hold on, because a new day is coming. The sun will be revealed again. Hold on to what, in the darkness, what God has shown you in the light. Hold on to it. Repeat what God has said to you. Look over your journals. Remember how God has acted. Remember the sunny days on the day of the eclipse. And for some of us, that day of eclipse is a week of eclipse or a month of eclipse, or years of eclipse. And I'm just saying, hold on. The sun will shine again. In uh, his book, The Pursuit of God, A.W. Tozer writes this. God formed us for his pleasure, and he so formed us that we, as well as he, can, in divine communion, enjoy the sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. Isn't that a great line? Enjoy the sweet and mingling uh, of kindred personalities. The sweet and mysterious mingling of kindred personalities. He meant us to see him, to live with him, and to draw our life from his smile. Nothing can take the place of your intimate growing relationship with Jesus. Nothing. There is no other practice in my life of 50-whatever years now that I've been following Jesus that has had such an impact on my life as my personal time with God on a daily basis. Nothing. Conferences, sozo, small groups, individual relationships, healings, miracles, demons flying out. Yes, I've had that too. All those are good things, but they are not the thing. The thing is this relationship we have with God through Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Nothing's more important and nothing's more powerful. Will you let God order your relational universe, including your relationship with him? Maybe he's calling you closer today. One step. God calls us to authentic, loving relationships with other followers of Jesus. We're called to community with the church. I've talked to people recently and through the years who are like, yeah, I love God. Uh, the church, iffy, real iffy. Why? The church is made of humans. What are humans? Sinful, challenging, sometimes uh, enraging, and sometimes 
dangerous people. But God is in the church. I was talking to someone recently who were talking about this issue, and, and I said, the only way I can think of this when, you know, you've been wounded by a church or by a believer, or you see these people out in the world sort of leaders falling, and you're like, well, can I trust anybody at all? And the only answer I have for that is no. But you can trust God in them. You can trust God in them. You can trust God in them. Boundaries are often quite appropriate. But if we put our trust in human only, we will be disappointed. It's God and God alone who can do that. Mark 3, 13 to 15, we see this in the life of Jesus. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted. And they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to do ministry. Jesus called the people he wanted. I mean, he chose them. And he said, here's, here's your number one thing. He chooses them and he says, here's what you're supposed to do. Be with me. That's what I want. I want you to be with me. I can't imagine that Jesus chose these particular 12 just because they were the most gifted and talented. Clearly they weren't. But somehow in divine sovereignty, he said, you're the one I want. I want you to be with me. And then within that, you know, uh, within the large group of the, the crowd that he ministered to, he appointed 72, empowered them, and sent them out. Within the 72, there were 12 that he gathered around himself, his disciples, and he spent time with them. Within the 12, there were three, Peter, James, and John. And they were, they were the inner circle. They were his buddies. There are places in the Gospels where it's very clear that Jesus said, only these three guys can be with me in this one. We're going to go to the mountain. We're going to, you know, have a, I'm going to be transfigured in front of you. It's going to be awesome. Three of you. Just three of you. And he didn't seem to be concerned that the others would be offended. I'm not saying they weren't. Jesus just didn't seem concerned. Even Jesus, as the Son of God, in human form, had limitations. He had limitations. He had boundaries. He set them up. He lived by them. And, and he had these people that were committed to him. There was covenant trusting and loving relationship between Jesus and those three and those 12 and probably some in those 72. Some relationships will just simply be more significant in your relational universe. And that's not bad and it's not mean. I'm not saying it's easy. Jesus' one and only concern was to do the Father's will. It's love that distinguishes the church from the rest of the world, and not just love for the world, but love within the church. Jesus said, here's how they'll know that God the Father sent God the Son to save the world when you love each other. And that you is you and me. He said, that's how the world will know. When, when sinful, broken people can come together and love each other in Jesus, that's a miracle. And Jesus said, the world needs to see that miracle. They need to see our loving relationships. We don't have loving relationships just for that, but we need them. And they have impact on the world. In a culture where loneliness is absolutely epidemic, community is incredibly attractive where you see people disparate, separated, and lonely. They are longing for belonging. We know that because we are too. 
In Acts 2, we see the commitment of the early church. You know, the Holy Spirit comes, miracles, 3,000 come to Christ. It, I mean, it's, it's amazing. And then they commit themselves to some practices. Acts 2.42 to 47, it says, and they committed themselves to, um, to gathering together, to breaking bread, to fellowship, to prayer. They were, and to the apostles' teaching. They were there committed together. Because of that committed relationship, it says that many others were drawn into, the, into a relationship with Jesus. But they needed it for them. God called them to do it for them. The bad news, you will likely have to cross some boundaries of comfort to have a close relationship with another believer. Do you ever think to yourself, you meet someone new and you say, oh, they're a Christian. It'll be great. You think, oh, I'm going to use this business. They have a fish on the side of their thing. This will be awesome. And sometimes it is. And sometimes it's not. You'll have to cross some boundaries of comfort to be in close rela relationship with other believers. You'll have to take risks. Sometimes you'll have to step in when it feels real uncomfortable. Sometimes you'll have to step back when you really want to be close. It's not easy, but it's imperative. Will you let God alter and order your relational universe? And God calls us to be authentic, loving relationships with those who do not yet follow Jesus. So much of Jesus' ministry in the Gospels is on behalf of those who didn't know him, who didn't believe, who, who, who probably were looking for God or just bread or a fish or a miracle or something exciting or healing, but they didn't know him. And Jesus spent time with him. It's amazing how many times in the Gospels Jesus would stop everything for the one. He would stop everything for the one. The woman at the well, John 4. The parable of the, the, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son in Luke 15. Jesus' heartbeat for the one, to, be, to draw close to the one, even if they seemed very different and distant, Jesus would be there for the one. Matthew 9. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That word compassion, just for fun, the Greek, Greek word, splunkna. You can use that one all week if you want. It means guts. Splunkna, S-P-L-A-N-C-H-A. Splunkna. It means guts. What it means is Jesus was churned up on the inside with love for the people that were without a shepherd. He was, he was uh, troubled inside. He felt. It was physical for him. Compassion. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So pray to God that he would send uh, workers out into his harvest field. It's us. We're the workers. From a relationship with him, empowered by relationships with others, we're sent to the world. Jesus has sent us there. We'll have to build authentic relationships with people in the world to obey this command. The, the world really does want, want what we have. They really do. The world really wants what we have. The greatest commandment, Mark 12, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Um, uh, Adam and I were talking about this verse and Adam said, the, uh, we talked about the word neighbor. And Adam had an understanding of the word neighbor. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I, I'd never heard it before. And so I looked into it. And the word neighbor comes from a German word. Um, I've got a friend who's fluent in German. So I asked him, like, tell me about the word, uh, the German word for uh, neighbor. And he said, the word for neighbor in German, well, let me give you the Greek. In the, in the language of the New Testament, neighbor simply means a friend or any other person. A neighbor is a friend or any other person. So a neighbor is a friend or any other person. And where two are concerned, the other. According to Jesus, any other person, irrespective of nation or religion, with whom we live or whom we chance to meet. That's what a neighbor is. I think there are about 8 billion neighbors on the planet. Makes me want to go into a Mr. Rogers thing right now. I'm going to warn you right now, I'm about to stretch a few languages and come up with a very questionable analogy. But it worked for me, and we'll see how it goes with you. So in German, the two roots of this German word for neighbor, the first one is the word for next to, just the word for next to, and the second part of the word adds the dimension of possibility. So you've got two, two words within this one word for neighbor in German, next to, and then this dimension of possibility. So he said, and he'll probably be mad when he finds out I, I use this, because he's very exact and I may be getting it wrong. But he said it could literally be understood as next able. Next able. The next person you are able to see. The next person you are able to love. I made up a new word. I call it a nextable. Like a lunchable. But more powerful. You think it's a joke. I'm going to say nextable about 20 more times. I, I like it. I, I like to think of my mission in the world is who is the next person I am able to love? Who's the next person I'm able to care for? Who's the next person I'm able to give something to, to smile at, to care for? I mean, Jesus had a lot of nextables. Everywhere he looked, he had one. Why did he go to the one you know, he's in the big crowd, the throng, everything's happening. Somebody touches him who's desperate for healing. And he's like, hold everything, someone touched me. And they're all like, that's stupid, Jesus. There's a thousand people here, why do you care? And he did care. Because he looks at the woman, lifts her up, and she's healed. Because he realized that the next one he was able to care for were not in the throngs, she was on the ground. And he lifted her up, and he healed her. He took time for the one is God inviting you to take a step into an authentic, loving relationship with someone who doesn't yet know him? A neighbor in the biblical sense. Maybe an actual neighbor. Maybe some place that you go or visit regularly. You know, that place where you walk in and they already know what you're going to order, or they already know what you're going to buy, or they, are, they already know what you're going to say. The place you go where they know all of your jokes already. 
someone who's not yet following Jesus, but sees you and could see Jesus in you. Be kind, be open, be willing, be you, be Jesus to that person. You know, it's interesting that the, you know, to, to, to make a friend with a neighbor, we say befriend, to befriend someone. So maybe that's our call is just befriend. Befriend to a neighbor wherever you are. Some concluding thoughts and a couple of questions. It's likely that one of these relationships, the up, the in, or the out, the God, the other believers, or the world is harder for you than the other two. Likely one is easier and one and a few one is more challenging. And I'm not saying you, you should spend all of your time making the hardest one the easiest one. That's not the point. But Jesus' model was balance. Here's what I am saying. I don't think that we get to say, well, Jesus, it's really nice that you walked through the world and you had this, these three relationships, but I'm just going to stay comfy with my two. I don't think we get to do that. Now, you can look in the Bible. You can talk to God about it. But I think God's called us to balance in our relational universe. So where we're challenged, either in our walk with God to take a step in, or in our relationship with others in the church, with other believers around the city or in the world, to take a step in. In our relationship with the world, with people who don't follow Jesus, to take a step in, to take a risk, to accept the challenge of Jesus. Otherwise, we run the risk of becoming two-dimensional people. We become flat. And God wants us to be full and fully integrated as his people. Of course, there are times when one relationship or two relationships will be emphasized over others. And if one aspect of these three relationships doesn't come naturally, that means it has to be done intentionally. Remember when you're interacting with people, when you're interacting with God, with, other, with believers, or with people outside um, the faith, Remember that these are not projects to complete. In your quiet time, it's not, I read three verses, I said a prayer, chick. No, these are people, including God, to be engaged. Be careful that you don't walk in pride. It's easy to do. I did my stuff. I did my quiet time. I talked to one friend. I said a prayer. I said, Jesus loves you to the gas station person or whatever. Check. No, these are people to be engaged. These are souls before God that may need you, that may need what God put in you. So here's your homework. Draw a picture of your relational universe. I did it over in the office. It's a big board. (laughs) Um, Draw a picture of your relational universe. Just scribble it out this afternoon. Who are those people that are close? Where are you in your relationship with God? Where are you in your relationship with believers? How about with unbelievers? Write their names down. Write down your family members. Write down the people you work with. You'll find a huge, vast number of people. Then looking at your relational universe, pray. And ask God, where do I need to adjust my life? Are you kind of calling me upward right now? Do I need to spend a little more time with you, God? You, are, you, are you pushing in my, me in my prayer life? Um, do you see me holding back from other believers because I'm a little uncertain, I'm a little scared, 
I'm insecure. God, would you want me to step in to befriend someone, to be a friend to someone? Is there someone in my life out there that seems to be that person who just constantly, they, they come into your orbit, God puts them there? Maybe someone that really wants to serve you or really cares about you. They make an effort to be there for you. I just wonder if God might be doing something in a, for an authentic, loving relationship with someone like that. Not just to convert them, but to be a soul before God talking to a soul before God. That's your homework. I would encourage you in the midst of that, the prayer room is open, lots of spots. You know, the prayer room, you can, you can check off all three in there. <laughs> you get to go in there and be with God. You get to go in there and you can pray with another believer. You get to go in there and be present to God on behalf of someone you don't know, who doesn't know the Lord, or someone in a far-off country. Spend some time. Do it in the prayer room, great. Do it in your home, great. Do it on your commute, great. But spend some time asking God, in what way do you want me to change my relational universe? You will notice that as you get closer to God, he gets bigger. And when you get closer to people, they get bigger. You see more. When you get closer to people out in the world, they get bigger. You see not just their sin, but their life. Not just the, the, the bad things they do, but their life before God. Open yourself to the guidance of the Holy Spirit and pray and ask God, just one, just ask God for one step in a way that he might have you adjust your relational universe. Let's pray. Let's stand. And if the ministry team can come forward, that would be great. God, we recognize that you are here in our midst. We thank you, God, <laughs> for the most part, we thank you that you have made us interdependent people and you've called us to relationship. I know, God, that there are some for whom that is painful. In one of those realms, there's pain. And we ask, God, that you will bring your healing, your insight, and your freedom. Holy Spirit, will you show us how you might want to adjust our relationships? I ask for your power in the midst of those relationships. I ask God for grace to flow through every person here in the vineyard this morning watching online, your grace to flow in these relationships. God, we want to see you. We want to see you move in us and move through us. We trust you. Jesus' name, amen. If you'd want someone to pray for you related to the message or anything, healing, um, other issues, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. If you just need some time to be with God, prayer room's open for a bit. You can come down in the front. Let's pray that you will go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. Amen.